From KLCC Studios, this is Oregon on the Record. I'm Michael Dunn. It's hard to change the name of something familiar. Just ask Twitter. But what if your change involves an institution or person's name that was truly beloved? And what if the change was due to something horrible in the past? Well, that can be one of the most difficult things an organization can ever do. And for the preeminent birding institution in Oregon, they've decided the reward is worth the risk. For the Oregon Bird Alliance, in an effort to distance itself from the racist past of its original namesake, has decided to cast off the world-famous name of John James Audubon and launch a new identity. Today on Oregon on the Record, you'll hear from the executive director of the organization, as well as from an OSU professor who's an expert on the reasons organizations reckon with the troubling names of the past. On the show today, you'll hear from the person whose organization has made the change, as well as an expert at OSU who's delved deeply into the effort to remove historically abhorrent names and replace them with titles that are inclusive and equitable. First up, we hear from the newly named Bird Alliance of Oregon. Stuart Wells, Executive Director for the Bird Alliance of Oregon, formerly known as the uh, Portland Audubon Society. Welcome to the program. Thank you. I appreciate uh, being on here today. Yeah. Boy, so so you've made the change in name. And, and my first question for you is, you know, what do you think that that name change is going to do for the organization? Well, I, I think what we're, what we're trying to accomplish and the reason we changed our name mm-hmm. was because, you know, as, as everyone knows, that our country has been grappling with systemic racism uh, pretty much throughout our history, but more so coming to the forefront in the, in the past few years. And we've had internal discussions and in-depth discussions about how we can be more inclusive internally, as I say, and, and externally. And as we we had we had these conversations, we realized that right in our former name was a barrier to some. Um, the name John James Audubon is some is known to many as the person who you know identified a lot of North American birds and and painted them. But some don't realize that he was an unrepentant. Um, anti-abolitionist mm-hmm. he bought and sold slaves he also desecrated uh, indigenous people's graves and we recognize that part of our mission is to be more inclusive especially that in this, in these times of uh, environmental movement the more voices that are heard the more likely to have positive impact on what we need to do and that one important uh, component of that is to drop that name because uh, the name Audubon is a barrier uh, to some. And sometimes a barrier is not visible to folks that it doesn't impact. So we, we recognize that it does impact, um, especially marginalized communities and people of color. Let me inter- reintroduce you to our listening audience. We're talking with Stuart Wells. He's the executive director for the newly named Bird Alliance of Oregon. Um, you've chosen, your organization chose to change the name, but others have not. There are other local organizations, and even the National Audubon Society has chosen not to change the name. Were there concerns that, that, that you were going to do this and perhaps, I don't know, 
either 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 lose connectivity with the national organization or perhaps you know anger uh, uh, longtime supporters of the national organization um, and and and, mm -hmm. and and its charter. Yes, that was an important consideration. You know, as as we go through this process, and I imagine any organization that's considering a name change has to really think about, you know, who who their audience is and was there such a, a powerful brand recognition and will you lose folks if you make that change? For us it was it was more important to to be more inviting, you know, to because we work in educating uh, people about birds and about uh, the impact of climate change. We wanted to have as, as many voices involved in that from the community as possible, especially voices that have been historically sidelined in this conversation and may not have had as, as much access to nature. Um, we know the history of national parks and even city parks often were restrictive, mm -hmm. you know, for people of color to, to enter into that. And Though that happened historically, it, it also leaves a a an implicit kind of resonance on people of color that they may not be as welcome in those areas. So, yeah, we were concerned about it, but we were also more concerned about what our mission is: is to be inclusive, to work together for nature, for all people, and to have it to have a good. Um, you know, to continue with the work that we do uh, throughout the state of Oregon. Yeah. A criticism of national parks, state parks, or just overall activities outdoors is that we as a nation, as a state, haven't done enough perhaps to encourage more people, uh, especially people of color, to enjoy the outdoors. Do you feel as though part of what you're doing there is certainly that idea of inclusivity that, you know, <laughs> bird watching and, and bird appreciation isn't just the realm of, you know, uh, white people in, in strange looking hats and binoculars? It is true that um, that birding in general has been historically somewhat of a um, exclusive club but it doesn't have to be and in fact it really isn't overall what we're trying to do as an organization is just to provide those opportunities you know to to for everyone really and 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 to to be able to enjoy you know some of the amazing adaptive adaptations that birds have and how they are so resilient in their habitat I mean, one of the things that I, I think of when I think of birds is freedom. You know, they have this extraordinary ability to extricate themselves from a difficult situation by flying. Most <laughs> birds can fly anyway. And to me, and, and a lot of cultures actually consider birds as a symbol of freedom and, and uh, you know, and somewhat spirituality. So to, to understand how we impact the, the world we live in, and to be able to communicate that, we need more voices in, involved in that, and, and historically marginalized voices, uh, sidelined voices, such as BIPOC community individuals, need to be part of that, and they should feel welcome to be part of that 
that that uh, adventure. You know, my last question for you is this: What you've gone through, a lot of organizations are are grappling with. Uh, certainly, you know, I'm talking to you from Eugene. Several buildings on the University of Oregon campus have changed their names because of the same issues. Um, there's 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 movements to change to change county names because of. Uh, 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 historic problems of, of, of the namesake in terms of racism and, and so on and so forth. My last question to you, Stuart, is really this is, I imagine, you know, some of those organizations may see what you're doing and think, boy, I really want to talk to, t- talk to him and, and, and find out how you did it, what were some of the, you know, some, some of the challenges. What advice would you give to, whether it's a municipality or uh, you know, a, a private institution or a public inf- institution, considering a name change for the same reasons that that you undertook yours with. Well, that's a fantastic question, and and it's uh, I'd like to say it's you know individual organizations, but I think it's a, a societal uh, question as well. Mm-hmm. But one thing that it, my personal my personal viewpoint about this is, and this. This is just me sharing. Okay, is that when considering these kinds of name changes, what you also have to consider is: did the, the viewpoints, the ideology, the, the the philosophies entertained by those individuals or those areas, are they still impacting people today? Are they still causing harm? And if that barometer says yes, in the case of systemic racism, it's clearly not gone. And those, you know, some of those held views, folks have said, well, that was a person of their times, and it was perfectly acceptable to think that way. But those those ways of thinking still have an impact. You know, redlining happened uh, with communities of color throughout this country. You know, restrictions in some areas to live restrictions from access to national parks, city parks. So those things are still impacting people today. And and that's a consideration, I think, is one that you carefully weigh when you're going into making these kinds of decisions. For this and for our organization, there's clearly a barrier to the mission that we have to bring more people, to involve more people in, in, in nature and understanding how they may impact, how we impact this world. Well... Stuart Wells, the executive director for the Bird Alliance of Oregon. Really appreciate you coming on and talking with us. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here. It was nice talking to you as well. My next guest is an expert in such issues at Oregon State University. Nache Barnd, associate professor at Oregon State in the Department of Ethnic Studies. Thanks so much for coming on and talking with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. We get so used to names, and they become part of part of our, you know, our our knowledge, our 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 way of being, if you will. And I imagine, you know, as we've seen, backlash can ensue. Maybe talk a little bit about, you know, sort of what what is the typical backlash when an institution, an organization says, "Hey, this name is is really problematic, and we want to change it." What does that backlash often look like? Yeah, it comes in a lot of different forms um, from everything uh, from just saying, hey, what are some of the other issues that are more important to this is just sort of policing our language and our thought. Um, I think there can be some direct responses from within the organization or around the organization, whether it be 
folks who are going to deny funding. And we're seeing a lot of that in different contexts now around the country. Um, sometimes you get obviously threats and targeting based on that because people don't agree with your choices or your decisions or your stances. Mm -hmm. uh, for an organization, obviously, sometimes that means members decide they no longer want to be part of that organization because they think that they've taken things too far. Um, so those are the kinds of backlash I think most organizations will will face uh, when these when they make these kind of choices. It, and my memory is maybe faulty on, on some of this, and, and certainly my, my my understanding of it, and that's why I want to ask you the question. Um, but you know, a few decades ago, when a real move, a seemingly a concerted movement to perhaps remove statues that celebrated the Confederacy, when that was starting to happen. There was a lot of backlash on that, and people often said things like, "Oh, but but you're you're taking away our history and whatnot." But of course, what what I think many people maybe didn't know at the time was many of those statues were not like erected during or right after the Civil War and the Confederacy. A lot of them were erected much much later. So that idea of that they were part of this rich cultural history. Maybe not as as accurate. I, I just kind of wanted to, you know, get your read on on that situation. Yeah, and that's I mean, that's still ongoing right now. I mean, this has definitely happened and been happening quite a bit in the last five years, really. But mm -hmm. there's a couple of things. And even in your description, right, the the the, the word our right, mm -hmm. our history, that already is kind of placing a kind of racialized barrier around you know, who this narrative or who this history belongs to, which even that is already um, not an accurate statement. Yeah. Um, I would say a couple of things. I would say that we want to remember that, you know, terms and histories, they're never neutral. So we have to engage them. We have to revise them. We have to rethink about them. And partly that's because the second point what I, I would point out is, you know, history is not about those moments in the past. History is really about the present. It's about how we think about ourselves. And we use those moments in the past to say something about where we think we are, where we want to be, where we don't want to be. And so it's it, to me, it's legitimate to look back at things and say, you know what, we've, we've changed that way we look at this or that. It, none of that erases history. Mm. Right? The, no thing can represent or be history. Right. And you can always do different things. And, you know, you could keep a statue and use it differently. I don't actually think that's a, neg a necessarily a negative um, approach, but it's a very complicated one. So if you want to keep a Confederate statue, you're going to have to really do a lot of work to make, you know, to convince um, those of us who don't believe, you know, the Confederate supporters were valued people that we should commemorate in that way for their, at least for their ideologies of, of enslavement and what have you. Um, but but those are complicated. So usually removal is the way you sort of say we're not going to commemorate this because we're spending a lot of social and physical space on those those figures as symbols um, that we think are valuable if we if we do place them out in the public like that. Let me reintroduce you to our audience. We're talking to Nache Barnd. He is an associate professor at Oregon State University in the Department of Ethnic Studies. Um, we talk about when an institution changes a name, removes a monument, uh, talk about the benefits that marginalized groups, you know, can 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 sort of, you know, celebrate uh, in terms of, of that kind of a change. Yeah, you know, and I think it's it's an incomplete and it's a partial one. It's a step forward. It's not a it's not necessarily a, a, a change. It can be a change. Um, these right, we're talking about names and things as symbols. So everything is has a symbolism, but symbolisms are just starts, right? It's a it's a way of sort of signaling what you're trying to do. 
Um, and it has to be proven that it's going to be more than rhetoric. So I've been a part of a lot of things or seen a lot of things that get changed in name or in, in sort of in the rhetoric, but then nothing fundamentally changes. So it really has to make sure that it's an invitation, right? A doorway can be a way to come in. It could also be a doorway that closes in your face and stops you from entering. Hmm. Um, so really thinking about the opportunity to to create engagement, to listen, to be in a new relationship. Um, and and But the benefit is it can open up all those missed opportunities of, of brilliance and, and beauty that, you know, that were being lost before, those costs that you don't see, right? You don't know what you don't have um, when you're not cal- counting it and calculating it. Um, but those benefits of when you open that thing up, uh, whatever it might be, you suddenly will see the value of it, right? You'll get those opportunities to, to grow and benefit from, from, from that inclusion, from that sort of addition. The Audubon Society is an incredible, the name Audubon is an incredible brand. People know right away you're talking about birding and, and that sort of a thing. And so almost logistically speaking, when you remove a name that sort of ingrained with the activity, you know, how do you... And maybe I'm asking you outside of your bailiwick in terms of branding and marketing, but I mean, that's a big step just logistically. You run the risk of people forgetting about you or not learning about you because that name suddenly is very different. Yeah, and that's probably why you see some of these organizations, specifically in this case, right, change into something very descriptive and hard to confuse, right, Mm -hmm. Bird Alliance of Portland. Uh, it's a pretty open-ended, you know, or a pretty direct uh, uh, statement of who they are. Yeah. Um, you you will lose name recognition. There's no way around that. But also, you know, I think about this and go, well, you know, every marketing is always an opportunity, mm. right? Every time you get to say something about who you are and your name, it's gonna it's gonna give you another chance to reach out, to connect, to remind folks of what matters to you and who, what you do. I mean, it doesn't seem to be a problem for you know musicians and what have you changing their name and you know usually you actually multiply what they are you you know them as formerly prince and then you know them as this other other entity later on and i imagine that's going to be a little bit of what happens with with orgs like this um, but i think you know you you get a chance to rebrand yourself to to remind folks that you have new values that you've added and tried to build into who you are so that you can be actually more authentic uh, which i think is more important than just the the recognition of the imagery that you've maybe constructed um, in the past. You have an opportunity to pivot and say, we're, we're more than that. We're these additional things that are important to us. Um, and, and this just reminds you of all the good work that we want to do. You know, Professor Barn, my, my last question for you, and, and you, you talked about this a little bit earlier, but I want to expand just a little bit on it, which is this idea that many people, probably white people especially, might look at a movement like that and say something along the lines of, you know, for lack of a better phrase, don't you have better things to do? There are so many problems in society. Shouldn't you? Because obviously sometimes it takes an institution a a long time. It might take some resources to make the name change. And people may say, why bother? It's there's so many other things we should be spending our time on. What do you say to that argument and, and demonstrate how important this move really can and, and perhaps should be received as? Yeah, I, I would reframe it as a both and situation. The, hmm. so the either or is, is usually a, a terrible model for anything. It's usually a both and. Um, I think if people in, in my area of, of work, when people ask these questions, you know, I tend to think they're they're usually really what they're saying is that they don't think it matters in some way or that isn't real. Hmm. Um, or they're sometimes being disingenuous, honestly, because they 
are saying that they care about these other bigger things. And, you know, if you follow it up and say, well, how have you, you know, dealt with these other bigger questions? And, and usually there isn't an answer there because it's, it's a misdirection. And so, um, you know, it, it, the symbols do matter. We use them quite a bit. You know, it's how we make sense of the world and create our world. But I, I think in those moments when you say, why are we wasting our time? It feels to me like folks are saying the distraction, the inconvenience, the discomfort of these changes is significant and too much. And I think about that and say, well, is, are those, is that distraction, inconvenience and discomfort more than the weight of experience in racism? I, I would argue not even close. And so if we put those at, at odds with each other, we can say, you know, we can do this one small thing. I don't think it's hard to do both. I don't think it's hard to tackle the big problems. And I think they're related because I think this is one small piece of the bigger puzzle. And we have to do, you know, you fight evil, whatever shape and form and whatever scale it comes on, whether it be small or large. So just to let all the small ones go seems a, a contradictory kind of position if you believe in in, in anti-racism or not in, enforcing or furthering racism. Well, Nache Barnd, the associate professor at Oregon State University in the Department of Ethnic Studies, thank you so much for coming on and, and providing us your, your expertise. Well, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. That's our show for today. Even if you're convinced you're doing the right thing, making big changes that can open yourself or your organization up to scrutiny is never easy. And when you make a change to right a historical wrong, there will always be people who think you're being woke or worse, attacking historical icons. For the Bird Alliance of Oregon, they feel strong enough in their convictions to drop the name Audubon that they are even going against the actions of the national organization. Yet, as our expert from OSU points out, history is always changing and hopefully, the more we learn, the more we're able to change for the better. I want to thank both Stuart Wells from the Bird Alliance of Oregon and Nache Barn, Associate Professor at Oregon State, for coming on the show and talking with us. This show, along with all episodes of Oregon on the Record, is available at klcc.org. I'm Michael Dunn, and this has been Oregon on the Record on KLCC. Thanks for listening.